Hello, good morning. If you didn't catch my name, it's Gareth. Uh, I'm married to Rachel. We have a five-year-old son named Caleb. And uh, we've been part of this church for a long time. I've been part of this church for over 15 years. And I'm part of the staff team here. And it's my job to lead a church plant from STC to Fairvale. I'm going to start off, hopefully, by showing a video. It didn't work at the 9 a.m. service, so we'll, we'll try. We'll, we'll give it a try. And if it doesn't work, then I'll jump back on the stage. But are we good to go, James, with the video? Let's give it a try. I remember being challenged by a statistic I heard. 70% of people live in urban, deprived communities. That's 70% of Christians live in the suburbs. I thought something's not right there. Because I think if Jesus lived in Sheffield, he would live where most people are, where the most need was. In fact, I think if Jesus lived in Sheffield, he'd live somewhere like Fairdale. <laughs> Fairvale is a diverse neighbourhood in North East Sheffield. It's in the 5% most deprived communities in the UK. There are many challenges here, including unemployment, low educational outcomes and significant community tension. The first thing you notice as you walk around the area is there's lots of litter and fly-tip furniture. But take a closer look and you'll find there's many positives. There's also great spiritual need, with some of the main people groups in the local area being completely unreached by the Gospel. Over the last decade, a team of Christians called the Eden Team have made our homes here, we've put down roots here, and intentionally embedded ourselves in local life. With open homes and open lives, we have aimed to be Jesus' ambassadors to our neighbours and to share his love and his gospel whenever the opportunity arises. Our groups and activities for children and young people have been well attended and our school's work has been really well received. We're now known and trusted by local organisations and local residents alike. We love this place and it's a fantastic place to call home. Alongside the Eden team, we've also had a cluster community here in Fairvale, some of whom have lived here for many, many years, long before the Eden team arrived, faithfully praying in the local area and sowing seeds of the gospel. Praise God, we've seen some neighbours come to faith in Jesus and begin their journey of discipleship. We've seen particular fruit amongst young people, some of whom we've met through our organised activities, others through more informal connections. Many of the young people with whom we've journeyed over the years are now grown up and some have children of their own. 
Young boys who told about Jesus 10 years ago whilst fixing their bikes and pumping their footballs are now young men and we're discipling them whilst helping them write CVs. Ever since we moved here, I felt God giving me a vision to plant a church in the local neighbourhood. This sense of calling has grown and grown over the years, as has the need for it. Sadly, many local churches have closed. One example being the local Methodist church, whose building was bought at auction by the mosque next door. I would love to see an evangelical, charismatic, Baptist church established in the heart of Fairbairn, which will serve the local community both practically and spiritually. A church with the STC DNA was relevantly expressed in Fairbairn culture and Fairbairn context. A community of faith where local people feel belonging and ownership and where they can be raised up as leaders. A church that will relevantly preach the gospel, demonstrate God's kingdom and make Jesus more famous in Fairbairn. Alongside this, we're also in discussion with the Message Trust about setting up a community grocery in the local area, which will provide heavily discounted food to help the many local families who are struggling to put food on the table, as well as access to wraparound care, such as death advice, alpha courses, and more. Here's three reasons to join us. Number one, the need is great. Jesus loved the poor and the marginalized, and he left the riches of heaven to step into our brokenness. He calls us to imitate him by bringing good news to the poor. Reason number two, the workers are few. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 70% of people live in urban deprived neighbourhoods, but 70% of Christians live in the leafy suburbs. Could you help to address that balance by being downwardly mobile and taking the gospel to where it's needed most? Reason number three, it's a great place to live. We've lived here very happily for almost 10 years. We've made our homes here and we've raised a family here. We are living proof that at worst, it's probably not as bad as you imagine, and at best, it's a fantastic place to call home. Thanks. So, uh, there's a bit of our story. I'm going to tell you a bit more of our story. I'll also share some thoughts from the Bible. And there'll be a chance to respond. First, let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you're here with us now. And as you read your word, and as I share how you've worked in our lives, we invite you to come and speak to each of us by your Holy Spirit. We invite you to call us, to challenge us, to direct us. Stir us up to follow you with greater passion. Help us hear your voice calling us, and help us respond with faith. Amen. Okay. I wonder if you can recall your most uncomfortable moment. One of mine was uh, when we took the bus uh, with uh, Caleb, who was about two years old at the time. Parents in the room, you'll be thinking, dangerous game, taking a two-year-old on the bus because anything could happen, right? Uh, it was going fine until Caleb turned to uh, a lady, complete stranger, sitting opposite, and told her that she looked like a walrus. I mean, you know those moments where you just want the ground to swallow you up? It was pretty awkward. Um, the worst thing was, I didn't quite hear him the first time, so I asked him to repeat it a little bit louder. But sometimes, being uncomfortable 
can be a really good thing. One time when I felt uncomfortable in a really wonderfully life-changing way was when Andy Hawthorne, leader of the Message Trust, stood on this stage a little over 10 years ago and called people to join the Eden team in Favell. He spoke on the passage Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, which should hopefully come up on the screen behind me. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he preached from this passage and he called people to join the Eden team in farewell. And now it's come full circle and it's me standing on this stage rallying people to a vision for farewell. Except this time it's not for an Eden team, it's for a church plant. Now Tom made a joke last week about we're going to lock the doors and force people to move house and so on. I just want to reassure you from the outset, nothing like that's going to happen. Don't be ridiculous, Tom. But there is an invitation. Jesus says to us all today, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will respond with faith? Who's willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me? It's an invitation to get involved in a number of different ways. So for you, it might look like giving financially or committing to pray. I'd love you to consider whether you could join us in the church plant. It's an open invitation. But I'm not going to put pressure on anybody to do anything. That's not what I'm here to do. If you do want to explore joining us, that's not a sign on the dotted line today kind of decision. That's a process. And that might look like coming to a vision event, which we've got in Fervell on the 19th of March. You can pick up flyers from the back if you, if you want to explore that. There's also a, a, a prayer journal, which guides you through seven days of reflections on all the different aspects of what it might mean to join us in the church plant. So it's a process, in other words. It's not an instant thing where you sign up and that's it. You know, the, but the process for some people might start today. The process for us started 10 years ago when Andy Hawthorne called people to respond and uh, the Holy Spirit stirs something in me. I can remember feeling God was stirring something in me and trying to pluck up the courage to turn to Rachel, my wife, next to me. And tell her that I think we should go to the front. So I glanced sideways, only to find that she was already at the front responding. She's usually one step ahead of me, so I thought I'd better join her. And that was, as I said, the start of a journey for us. We prayed, we visited, we explored, we counted the cost, and we concluded that God was calling us to move house. Rachel and I are not natural risk takers. We're usually pretty sensible, boring people, really. But we knew that we had to be obedient to God's voice. And what sealed the deal was when we started looking at houses in Fairvale. Not, not just the cheap price of houses, but God spoke really clearly. On the day we went to look around one house, Rachel told me on the way, on the way there that she had read in her Bible reading that day, Isaiah chapter 60, which says, you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And she noticed that the word salvation had a capital S, and the word praise had a capital P, like a name. You will call your wall salvation, your gates praise. It wasn't until later that we realized that the address of the house we were going to look round could be translated quite literally, Salvation Praise Street. I mean, that's God be God, right? So we, we, we concluded that God was speaking to us, and so we put an offer in, and the rest is kind of history. 
And it's definitely proved to be a house of salvation and a house of praise, as that scripture prophesied. We've seen people come to faith in our front room, praise God. We've discipled people. We've prayed with people. We've shared our lives with people. We've pumped approximately one million footballs, I'd say, fixed countless bikes, enjoyed hundreds of meals given to us by our generous neighbours, sometimes three in a single evening. We've done a lot of much more mundane things as well there. We've lived our lives there. We've made a happy home there. We're raising our family there. In other words, we've built houses and settled down. We've married and have sad sons and daughters. We've planted gardens and eaten what they've produced. And we've sought the peace and prosperity of one of the poorest neighbours in our city. Does that sound familiar? That's a verse from Jeremiah that we've been looking at quite a lot as a church recently. That's been a really key verse for us as, uh, in, in our time in Fairvale. Another one is Jeremiah 32, verse 41, which says, I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. So if the idea of God uprooting you and moving you sounds scary, like maybe you're picturing it's like, the recent storms which have kind of violently and destructively uprooted trees and left them strewn across the street. Our testimony is it's not like that when God uproots you. It's much more like a thoughtful gardener who tenderly and lovingly takes a plant from one pot and gently plants it in another pot, in a larger one to help it grow. That's much more like what the experience felt like for us. So you can trust God. It can be uncomfortable, but you can trust God that he knows what he's doing and that he's a good gardener. Okay, now you've heard a bit more of our story. We're going to get into the Bible. So I'm going to read two passages, which should hopefully be on the screen. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22 is the first one. And it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The second scripture I'm going to read is Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Jesus, then Jesus said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I'm actually going to read a bit more, which won't be on the screen, I don't think. But it's in verses 59-62, he says, Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow, super challenging words from Jesus, but this is the word of the Lord. So, before God called, me, called us to move to Fairvale, my plans for the future included getting on the property ladder, moving up it, getting a decent job, a nicer car, a bigger house, 
and settling down as comfortable as possible. These are things that uh, many people aspire to. Maybe you can relate to that. Our culture conditions us with the desire to move up in the world, to gain more stuff and more status, to be upwardly mobile, and to be comfortable. I don't know about you, but I love comfort. Yeah? It's good to be comfortable, isn't it? We love it. No. But we need to ask ourselves a question. Is that in line with what Jesus teaches in the Bible? The verses we've just read in the, in the scriptures would suggest the opposite. Jesus' words, come follow me, clearly had practical implications for his disciples. It wasn't just something intellectual they were following. And it's not like following, some, following someone on Instagram or Twitter where you can do so from the comfort of your sofa. Jesus calls us to imitate his way of life. And for his first disciples, this meant leaving behind nets and fishing boats, family members, jobs, security, homes and villages to follow him. I wonder what we'd be willing to leave behind to follow Jesus. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, come follow me and your life will improve. That's a false prosperity gospel. Nor does he say, Come follow me and your life will be more comfortable. In fact, it says the opposite. If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Wow. In other words, Jesus calls us to put him in the driving seat of our lives instead of our own preference. Jesus calls us to die to our fleshly desires for comfort and a safe, cosy existence, which we all have, he invites us out of our comfort zones into a radical lifestyle of mission and being good news to the poor. Jesus turns our culture on its head and calls us not to be upwardly mobile, but downwardly mobile. Jesus himself is the ultimate example of downward mobility. He left the riches of heaven to step into our broken world and become one of us. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God became a human being. Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. God became a human being. God, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, all authority, all power, Worshipped and adored by thousands upon thousands of angels and all creation singing his praises, he chose to leave that and become a helpless baby. Not in a palace in a capital city, but in an animal's feeding trough, in a stable, in a little back of beyond town called Bethlehem. He traded fame for obscurity. Glory for squalor, omnipotence for helplessness, riches for poverty, comfort for discomfort. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me and he came to rescue us and die in our place. How awesome is that? It's the greatest scandal in the history of the universe and it's called the gospel and it's got the power to change lives. Amen? If you, if you don't know Jesus yet and you'd love to meet someone 
who would love you that much to make all those sacrifices for you, I'd love to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus and he is awesome. But Jesus' downward mobility didn't stop at the incarnation with the Christmas story. He spent the majority of his life, of his time, of his ministry with the poor and the marginalized. Those who were looked down on by the respectable people. The God who flung the stars into space made a habit of hanging around with the least, the last, and the lost. He turned the culture of his day on its head by eating with tax collectors, touching lepers, and washing his disciples' feet. And then in the climax of all history, in the ultimate act of humility, he let himself be tortured and killed on a cross to take away our sins. Philippians chapter 2 in the Bible says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and he became obedient, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave everything for us. So when Jesus says, take up a cross and follow me, he's led by example. He's done it himself. Jesus was the ultimate example of downward mobility. And here's a really challenging bit. He calls us to imitate him. He says in John chapter 20, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So as the Father, God the Father, sent Jesus from the highest possible position of heaven to the lowest possible position on earth, Jesus sends us from the comfort of our suburban bubble to the discomfort of greater proximity to the poor and the broken. There's a challenge. Of course, not everyone is called to move to Fairvale. Other places need the gospel too. However, I wonder, do we choose where we live based on levels of comfort, convenience and personal preference with our kind of wish list of boxes to tick as we scan right move for our ideal home? Or as disciples of Jesus, do we ask Jesus our master where he would like us to go? Surely it's the coach who decides where his players will play on the pitch. Do you trust God enough to ask him a dangerous question? Where do you want me, Lord? And don't be surprised if he answers that question with somewhere that's out of your comfort zone. And don't be surprised if he answers that question with somewhere that's within closer proximity to the poor. Because throughout the Bible, we see God's special love for the poor. He loves everyone, but he has a special heart for the poor. If that's the case, then shouldn't going to where the poor are be the default, not the exception? Just like the man we read about in the scripture who wanted to go and bury his father first or say goodbye to his family first. I'm sure we can all think of many, many good and very legitimate reasons why now is not a good time for us to uproot ourselves and, and, and whatever. First, let me pay off my mortgage, God. First, let me get my kids through school. Come and just wait till coronavirus is really, truly finished. 
first let me deal with this or that issue in my life. But as you read in that scripture, Jesus isn't in a position to wait while we attend to our other priorities first. He demands total allegiance and first place in our list of priorities. It's challenging, but it's true. One thing that was a really big deal for us in our decision to become downwardly mobile was kids. We didn't have kids at the time, but we knew that we wanted to have kids in the near future. So any decision we made to relocate was going to impact on them and any future kids we'd have. That was a really big question that we wrestled with as part of counting the cost. God's been really, really faithful to us and really good to us as our testimony. We've only got one child, but he's doing pretty great. He goes to an outstanding school in the local area, and he's really thriving. If you've if you met him, you'll know he's, he's, he's pretty great. I know I'm biased there. But Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 6 that if we seek first his kingdom, he'll look after our other priorities. And our testimony is that this includes our kids. Doesn't mean we don't worry about the kids and don't care. Obviously, it's something to consider. It's included in the decision, isn't it? It's a factor to factor in. But we can trust God that He's good. Yeah, He loves us. And interestingly, as a as a parent, it's important to me yes to keep my son safe and secure and, and so on. Absolutely, but also it's just as important to me that I model to him a lifestyle of mission. Serving the poor, obedience to Jesus, above, above all else. If when Caleb is grown up and our job of raising him is largely done, if the legacy is just so we kept him as safe and comfortable as possible, I'm not sure we've achieved the objective as Christian parents. It's challenging, isn't it? But um, I'm just, just throwing out there, that's, that's, that's part of the process we went through as counting the cost. I could tell you lots of stories from our time in Fairvale, but I just want to share one or two. First, another uncomfortable moment, a bit of a theme here. Uh, when a neighbour, let's call him Craig to protect his identity, it's not his real name, but Craig. Craig knocked on our door one, late one evening, uh, shortly after we moved to Fairvale, uh, asking to borrow £15 to top up his electricity meter because his lights were about to go out. And he uh, didn't have any money, nor did it, was expecting any in for a while. And also, didn't, oh yeah, he didn't have any food in the house either. And why does this make me feel uncomfortable? Apart from being asked for money, which you always feel uncomfortable about, don't you? Two reasons why it made me feel uncomfortable. First, because I suddenly realized how fortunate I was to have just enjoyed a hot meal and to have my heating cranked up on this particularly chilly December evening. Faced with the reality of how some people on my street live their everyday life, often having to choose between heating or eating. I felt uncomfortable about my level of comfort in comparison to the desperate man on my doorstep. The second reason I felt uncomfortable was it drove home to me something which I already knew really, which is there's no easy answers to poverty. Craig's needs were complex. On the face of it, it was simple. He just needed 15 quid to top up his meter. But the reasons behind that and the issues behind that, we couldn't easily fix. His long-standing drug addiction, his crippling debt, his tragic family breakup and his chaotic lifestyle 
weren't things that Toskin 15 crew, giving him a pat on the back and sending him on his way, were going to solve. So any kind of notion I had of being some kind of superhero, moving into the neighborhood to save the day, fix everyone's problems, that illusion was shattered right there on the doorstep. <laughs> I'm certainly no superhero, and I definitely don't have all the answers. But I do know this, that Jesus came to bring hope and healing to people like Craig. And the way that Jesus brings hope and healing is by being present, by getting involved, by getting up close and personal, by moving into the neighborhood. And who does he choose to carry his presence into the neighborhood? Us. Who else? Us. (laughs) We gave Craig something much more valuable than 15 pounds. We shared a meal with him, and gave an invitation into our lives and an invitation to Jesus. We got up close and personal with him. We prayed with him, befriended him. His faith, which he had as a younger man, was rekindled. And he became a really close friend of ours, and we journeyed with him for a long time until he moved away from the neighborhood and we lost touch with him. He used to call us family. His family had a tragic Circumstance break up, but he called us his family. Sam Ward from the Message Trust always says that the opposite of poverty is not prosperity. The opposite of poverty is community. We didn't solve all Craig's problems. That was never the aim. But we did bring him hope and a place of belonging in our family and an invitation to Jesus, which began a healing work in his life. Now, the story was unfinished because he moved away and we lost touch, sadly. But there's many, many more people in Fairvale, just like Craig, waiting for someone like you, perhaps, to move into their street, invite them into a loving church community who meet in their neighborhood and who carry a message of hope and healing in the presence of Jesus. Time for one more quick story about some other neighbours. Two twin, twin brothers, let's call them Eric and Milosh. We first met them when they were 10 years old. Their family quickly became good friends of ours and Eric and Milosh became part of the furniture in our household. Gardening, baking, help with homework, playing with Caleb, any excuse to hang out. It's been a real joy to journey with them and watch them grow up into young men. Sometimes we see them every day for weeks on end. Other times we only see them once in a blue moon. When there's a crisis, like when the kitchen's on fire. Some people will call the fire brigade, but no, Eric and Milos came and hammered on our door because we know what to do, right? Whenever possible, we've taken opportunities to share our faith with them. And we had the privilege of praying with them to invite Jesus into their life. They brought their friends along to our house to learn more about Jesus and to pray with them, too. We've discipled them, not with a formal mentoring program or alpha course, but life-on-life discipleship, which wouldn't have been possible if we just dropped in for an outreach program and then retreated to our leafy suburb. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 in the Bible says, Because we loved you so much, 
we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's what we've done. Eric and Milos are now nearly 18. And they're fantastic young men. And they could be fantastic leaders in church. Except there isn't a church in their neighborhood which is accessible for them. They're fantastic musicians. They can be fantastic worship leaders. But there isn't a church in the local area where they can have a go and and try it out and learn how to. I would love to see a church in Fairvale where people like Eric and Milos can be raised up as leaders and where people like Craig could find hope and healing and a place of belonging. For many years, people from this church, the Eden team and others, have been faithfully praying for Fairvale and sowing seeds of the gospel, breaking up the unplowed ground, preparing the way for this church plant. And I believe that now is a time to reap that harvest. Now is a time to put a lamp on a stand again and boldly preach the gospel of Jesus. Now is a time we step out in faith with the vision to plant a church. The preparation's been long, but that's what God's saying next, I believe. But this is where the rubber hits the road, because we can't do that on our own. We need your help. We need three groups of people. We need fans, fans who will pray for us, who will give financially and encourage us from a distance. We need friends who can offer to serve, can give their time, maybe skills. But what we need most of all, above all else, without this it won't work at all. Not just fans, not just friends, but family. We need some people who are fully in or all in, who are fully committed to making it happen. Not just taking the easy option, as we often like to do. Oh, I'll just be a fan. There's not knocking that. That's useful and that's helpful. But some people, I feel God might be stirring to go deeper than that. Becoming downwardly mobile, moving into the neighborhood or the surrounding area. There's a range of different housing around the surrounding area of Fairvale. There's some really nice houses in Firth Park up towards Pittsmore, some lovely, it's not, you don't have to be right in the center of Fairvale where we are. The Eden team would define Fairvale as a really quite small geographical area, a target zone. Um, um, it's not super prescriptive about where you have to live to be part of it, it's not, but there's, there's an invitation to get involved and to, and, and to be committed on different kind of levels. Could that be you? Could you be someone that, is one of those three categories, fans, friends, or family? Maybe you feel God's stirring you to explore that. Maybe like me, 10 years ago, you feel God is putting that on your heart. If so, I'd love you to respond today, not to sign on the dotted line and be handed a set of keys or anything, but to go on a, start a process and a journey and explore that. I'd love you to, if that's you, pick up a flyer on the way out from the welcome desk at the back, inviting you to our 
vision event on the 19th of March where you can find out more. And you can also take a, a prayer journal which, might, which will guide you through the process of exploring what that looks like for you. Or maybe God's stirring some, something in you today, but it's not farewell. And maybe other things he's, he's calling you to. Maybe you feel called to step out of your comfort zone and to consider what it looks like to, to be good news to the poor. Maybe some, some other calling that you've got in your life that, that God is, 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 is kind of fanning into flame today. I'd love you to respond for that too. To maybe call you to follow him more in a deeper way. Maybe he's calling you to say yes to him for the first time and to meet that person that will make all those sacrifices for you, like I said earlier. To recap, uh, I've told you a bit of our story of what uh, led us to move to Fairvale in the first place. I've told you some of the background to our vision to plant a church. I've also thrown out quite a big challenge from the Bible to consider what it looks like to follow Jesus and to imitate him in being good news to the poor, being countercultural, and being down when you're mobile. Jesus calls us to carry on his mission to the poor. And he says to us today, just like he said to Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who will be bold enough? Who will trust him enough to step out and follow him? Who will respond with faith? Ten years ago, I responded, and Rachel responded, and others responded too, saying, yes, God, we'll go. And I'm stepping out in faith again and saying the same. Send me again, Lord. I wonder if anyone here will be bold enough to do the same. I'm going to invite the band up, and it's going to take a moment to be still, and you'll pray for us. We're going to sing a song as a response, and I'd love you to consider whether you want to respond today. It could be for farewell, it could be for something else. If God's stirring something in you, and you feel like God is putting something on your heart to, to follow him more closely, or to explore joining us in farewell, then we're going to have the opportunity to, to respond. Jesus, we just be still for a moment. We just want to hear your voice. As I said at the start, there's no pressure on anybody to do anything or respond in any, any way. There's no guilt. There's no second-rate Christians <laughs> if they don't want to go to farewell. That's not my heart, Lord. If any of that's been come across, then please let that fall away. God, thank you there's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you love us, regardless of where we're at in our faith journey. I pray, God, that each one of us will be able to take a step closer today to your calling on our lives. Whether that's farewell, whether that's somewhere else, whether that's something completely different. God, help us all to take a step of faith in some way today.